Hello, you are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden, and we are here today with Dr. Rachel Harris, um, who's on the line with us today. Are you there, Rachel? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Um, we're here at Radio Region in Toronto, and <clears throat> we're um, talking today about our favorite subject and our um, pretty much our only subject, which is <laughs> ayahuasca and plant medicines. And um, Dr. Rachel Harris has done some interesting studies and written a book called Listening to Ayahuasca. And um, I really look forward to the discoveries that you've made and to talking about all the great things that, that you discovered and experienced with ayahuasca. So please do um, start, if you're comfortable, just telling us about how you discovered ayahuasca and your own experiences with it, and then what prompted you to um, to do the study, which I suspect was ayahuasca herself. Yes, yes, I'm happy to describe that, and I just have to preface it and say this is a great example of um, don't do as I did, do as I say. So I did everything wrong. <laughs> oh I goodness. sort of just happened uh, to fall into an ayahuasca ceremony. I didn't really know what it was. I hadn't prepared for it. I hadn't checked out the people. I was a complete idiot. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I want to be honest about how I fell into it, but I don't want to be a model for anything. And what happened was uh, I was living in New Jersey, and I wanted a, uh, a beach vacation in the middle of winter, which I thought makes eminent sense. And so I arranged to go to a retreat center in Costa Rica, and a few days before I was supposed to be leaving to travel, the organizer called and said, do you want to participate in the ceremonies? And I said, what ceremonies? So <laughs> I knew nothing. I did happen to have uh, Ralph Metzner's book, which is the collection of um, first-person reports, mostly from therapists, on their experience with okay. an ayahuasca ceremony. So. I immediately read that, and, and then I said, yes, I'll do the ceremonies, of course. <laughs> and um, so that was my first experience, and I happened to land in a relatively safe place where there, were, there was an authentic shaman, and I had a great experience. I think um, that I was very lucky, okay. and there, since there are so many more retreat centers and ceremonies being offered, the chances are going down that um, that someone is going to be as lucky as I was. So I really want to say you have to check out where you're going, get good referrals, make sure you know who's leading the ceremony and what medicine they're using and how it's going to be. I was just very lucky. I agree. Yeah, it's really important to uh, to pay close close attention to to that planning and how you're feeling about the choices you're making and, and all of these things. Right. I mean, I, I, there were lectures, and had I known anything, I would have recognized some, <laughs> some of the um, uh, clues. For instance, Jeremy Narby was going to be there for a week. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm not I quite sure who that I is. I should have at least looked at his <clears throat> book. I, I really had no clue. I didn't connect any of this. Okay. So I was really uninformed. Well, you know, a lot of people end up falling into it, and, and I think that there can be an authentic version of that as well, you know. But, yeah, there's all kinds of examples of good and bad versions of that. Right, that's right. There's a whole range that's possible. So, so what was um, your experience? That's why I say don't do as I, I 
did do as I say. So what I recommend is to be very careful. Oh, yeah, I do too, of course. So um, do you, are you feeling comfortable talking about what happened with you and ayahuasca? Oh, sure. Okay, I had great. a wonderful <laughs> first experience. Um, and I had had, I mean, what's missing in my bio is that um, in the late 60s, I was an Esalen Residential Fellow. And so uh, I was living in Big Sur. I was at Esalen for a couple of years. Um, I was in an intense um, workshop. Uh, the residential fellows did about 50 hours of work on ourselves for six months, and then most of us joined the staff. So this was a pretty intense couple of years, and it was the late 60s in California, so there were drugs available. Right. And so I had had this experience in my early 20s, and then as a, a graduate student, a professional, and a, a mother, and a householder, I hadn't touched anything in decades. So this was the first time in a long time, and I realized right away this was a very, sitting in this, um, <laughs> in nowhere in Costa Rica. I mean, there were no roads to this place. There were no telephones. There's no Internet. You know, we were really out there. And I realized right away this was a very powerful medicine. I could feel it moving through my body. And it took me back to the experience of my father's dying. Mm. I had brought him home from the hospital to die under hospice care in my own home. And so it brought me back to those last 48 hours, maybe, where I had my last conversation with my dad to say goodbye, you know, and I had traveled with him part of the way in a sense of leaving, having an experience where I left my body. Oh, really? You had a near-death experience. They, that's how they describe them, even though it's not quite it, it, descriptive. Well, you know, yeah. it's, it's actually called a shared death experience. Oh, right. I'd forgotten it's, about that. That's right. You okay. know, Ray Moody has given so many talks that people would come up to him and describe this. I was sitting, you know, by the bedside of a loved one who was dying. Even it's nurses true. talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. Being and, with people in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> the only and reason so, why I mistaken it, say, it yeah. really freaked me out at the time. I mean, I was I was under a lot of stress anyway, watching my dad die. Right. And then when I left my body like this and shot up into the universe, I didn't know if I was going to die. Right. And so I got really scared, and I brought myself right back down. And so I felt unfinished about that experience. And that's what I asked for in that first ceremony. That was my intention. Let me complete that. And so I relived the whole thing. But this time, I, I, was, I did not get afraid. I didn't get scared. I knew what to expect. And so I just shot up into, <laughs> into the cosmos, and it was this wonderful, mystical experience. So it, it gave me a, a psychological opportunity to say goodbye to my dad again, which was wonderful. I mean, he'd already been dead eight years, seven, eight years, something like that. So to go back and have that connection anew was wonderful. It really felt like a completion. And then to have that mystical experience of dissolving into the, in, in, <laughs> into the cosmos, I mean, it wasn't even that I could see distant starlight, points of stars. I just disappeared. Right. So, and then eventually, you know, I came I came back, but it was this wonder. I was just filled with love. It was a wonderful experience. And I often hear from people that their very first experience sort of bonds them 
to, um, to the medicine, to ayahuasca itself, that there's a sense of, I am so grateful for this experience, mm-hmm. that it carries them through you know, some more challenging experiences. <laughs> right. It's almost like establishing trust, you know, in a therapeutic sense, right? In a way. I mean, it was such a, a, a life-changing event. It was one of those top five events that, you oh, yeah. know, people say, reflecting back on your whole life, you know, is this one of your top five events? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was my very first experience. So um, did you... Did you have a dialogue with ayahuasca? No, no, it was it was <laughs> No, I was not there to have a dialogue. <laughs> I was I was way gone. So, but what happened um in the next couple of ceremonies, I began to ask a lot of questions. Of course. And um even with a translator, I couldn't I couldn't ask an indigenous shaman about western psychotherapy and ayahuasca. My questions made no sense. And so my and my questions were all therapy questions. Such what as? happens afterwards? How how are people changed? How does ayahuasca know to you know? How did I get my intentions so so beautifully fulfilled? How does this work? Right. And of course, some of these questions are unanswerable. But I knew that the shaman don't think like this at all. Mm-hmm. I this know. Is not their <laughs> their cosmology. So um, you decided to to get those answers yourself through research? So I focused, yeah, these were really research questions, and I, I focused on <laughs> Westerners who are using this medicine in in North America, so that's Canada or the United States. And the criteria to enter the study was that they had used ayahuasca at least once. And then most of my questions were about what happened afterwards. I didn't ask for stories of visions, or all all those amazing (laughs) stories. There's been enough written about that. I wanted to know, how how are you different? How how is your life different? How do other people see you differently? And I asked a bunch. I mean, the questionnaire was 16 pages long, and there were a bunch of essay questions, and people took hours um, writing to me and completing this questionnaire. And then often they would send me... um, their email, their telephone number. I mean, they were so interested in supporting the research and also in in describing what happened to them. Of course. They, they didn't have enough opportunity in their lives to talk <laughs> about their experience and kind of begin to make sense out of it. I agree. I think that all, many of us, most of us who, who have experienced ayahuasca really want to connect with others who can speak that language or, you know, exactly. even <clears throat> allow you to speak the language that you've learned through it, you know, and and that's a very important thing. And so there are communities cropping up, as I'm sure you've discovered, all over online and people are getting together because it's, it's really, I think it's necessary for our own well-being to be able to do this. Right, and there's a growing interest in in integration. What happens immediately afterwards? Right, that's not exactly the same as ongoing psychotherapy. No, so and yeah. I ask kind of bigger questions, but um, certainly um, what happens immediately after is very important. So let's start with you. Um, how many? Uh, uh, sorry, how many ceremonies did you do? Well, that first week, I think there were two or three, and then I organized a group to go back the next year. And this was maybe 12 or 13 years ago. So I've been working with the medicine for a while. And um, 
I, I um, go to ceremonies a few times a year. Okay, so what did so you... So I'm oh. not one of those people who's... I'm not a member of a church where they have ceremonies every two weeks or once a month. It's, it's um, much more sporadic, and that's fine for me. Okay. So um, what did you discover after your first set of of experiences is that when you decided to write the book or did did you wait and what was your experience like what did you notice about yourself well after after the first year or two and i had all these questions i literally heard a voice and i had never (laughs) heard an outside voice before and and i've i've talked about hearing a voice to lots of different people and some people say oh yeah i've heard her voice too or i heard a voice (laughs) And, and then you know i also have therapy friends who say well, this was your inner voice. No, <laughs> I oh, recognize yeah, I get my this inner too. voices. Yep. <laughs> they usually say, don't eat that, and I ignore them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, this was an outside voice. I, I gave a talk, and one very sophisticated man said this was, he was following a Buddhist cosmology. He said this, was, this voice was a co-creation, so you're still the source of it. And, you know, these are... These are big philosophical questions. Was this voice really an external voice, an independent, sentient being? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't really know how to answer these questions. I'm I'm a product of the Western world, of an agnostic uh, family. (laughs) I'm not saying this was God, but I can't... you know, if I'm with people who say, oh, yes, this was the voice, this is a plant spirit. You heard Grandmother Ayahuasca. I say, yes, that's exactly right. And, right. and that's the title of the book, you know, listening to ayahuasca. But then if somebody begins to challenge me, I sort of lose it. I'm and I so... say, well, I, I don't know exactly what this voice was. I'm so but glad we're talking about this. I tell you that I've this. dedicated a, a decade of my life to... Um, to fulfilling what the voice asked of me. Right. And the voice said, do the research. Right. And, I'm and so... so that's what I did. And my research was, was what a psychotherapist would ask. Right. And um, so that's the research I did. And, and what was, I think, the most am- amazing result I got in the research connected to what I've just been saying is uh, I had complete questionnaires from 81 people and three-quarters of them described that they had an ongoing relationship <laughs> with the spirit of ayahuasca. This is so great. <laughs> I, I'm really glad we're talking about this because, of course, I have an ongoing relationship. And do and you literally hear her? Oh, yeah, every day, all day. And, and at <laughs> night, I go into quasi-ayahuasca states to do healing. I'm going through some kind of full-on shamanic um, training through this process after I came back. So I have been through this experience, as you have, where people say, oh, it's just your inside voice, or oh, it's this. And all they're doing is they're trying to understand it with their own frame of reference. They have no frame of reference whatsoever. You know, and I and I get that, and I see them trying it on <laughs> with their own set of their own understanding of of how the psyche works and and how the mind works in their own particular experiences. And I, you know, I say, look, I understand it's outside of your experience. It was outside of mine, you know, before this happened. Um, but what I get a lot is, oh, as you say, it's just you. It's just you. And then I, right, I, right. I end that conversation usually and begin a better one with saying, okay, and who's that? <laughs> 
Because as we know, when we go into our ayahuasca experiences, we discover there's so much more to us than anybody realizes. There's so much more to it. Well, I do have to admit that I've had um, more conflict about this than you're describing for yourself. And um, I found, you know, John Mack was the Harvard psychiatrist who interviewed people who reported um, alien abduction experiences. So that was really far out research. Right. And he used the term ontological shock. And that really does describe what I've been in for over a decade, this sense of, I, 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 I stutter. I mean, I, I just don't know. It's, it's, so, <laughs> it upsets my whole worldview. Right. And I haven't really shifted completely, as, as you're describing you have. I still waver. And that's a little, it's a, I'm learning to live with that, but it's a little uncomfortable. The learning to live with it is the big thing. But I, I'm sorry if I gave you the impression that there hasn't been a struggle, because there certainly ah. has. Um, and this has been going on for two years for me, right? So um, this has taken place also every single day and all day oh, long. Oh, really? Right, yeah, because I had a dialogue with Ayahuasca, and it just simply continued. So I have taken, I took a year at you know, after I came back to adjust. And then I just got used to the argument. <laughs> because oh, that's I, interesting. Oh, yeah, of course I, I would, because I'm a very questioning person. And even though I haven't really been involved in the scientific world, um, I, I do have my own tendency to question um, far, far too much. And Ayahuasca taught me about the nature of my questioning. So in, in, Wait a minute, say that again. I didn't quite hear it. Ayahuasca taught you about the nature of... The nature of my questioning. So uh-huh. I went into ceremony at one point with all of these questions because of this ongoing experience. And what she did was she kind of showed me how my mind was working. And she broke down my questioning into two categories. One of them was questioning for the sake of just habit and um, and trying to... Uh, to to break things down and just nothing that was actually constructive just trying to to um to destroy it to, to destroy mm-hmm. a concept basically with my own questioning ways there was no mm-hmm. good purpose behind it she showed me she said another kind of questioning was great cuz it was all curiosity based and she responded to the curiosity based questions and she simply showed me what the nature of these other questions were and said we're going to just discourage that from now on and work on that and that's been happening. So. Isn't that interesting, how how specific her response was to you? Oh, it's been very in-depth, and she has plans for me, and this is what my mission is now, is to kind of help other people break things down in their mind, because there's been, the, the total focus is on my mind and how it works and how mm-hmm. the kinds of thoughts that I have that I need to not entertain anymore and, and what that does and how that rolls out into my life experience, Right. So it's been intense. <laughs> but yes, I, that's but, intense. But I, and you said it rolls out into your life? Well, so what she was kind of showing me and what I think we have seen other people start to discover, especially in the spiritual world, which, by the way, I was not involved in in any way before my ayahuasca experience, like other than plant medicines to get better. Um, so I had no frame of reference to any of this beforehand. But we're starting to see people discover that the kinds of thoughts you have... Okay, could you just speak louder or move I'm so the mic sorry. or something? I'm having trouble. <clears throat> okay, so um, I had no... You had described your um, your history being involved with spiritual 
therapies with yeah in, and and I think that I've heard of the place you were describing in in California, so you had a kind of background. I had right. no background with any of this oh, yeah wow. so it's been but it's been great and and I don't regret any of it um but it's been intense two years of kind of training in this regard. And what I've discovered through just kind of other people reflecting back to me saying, oh, I read a book about that, or oh, so-and-so uh-huh. speaks about that, about how your thoughts affect your life experience, you know, basically whether things go well in your life or not depends on your state of mind, etc. So uh, ayahuasca was, was, has been kind of training me in that area and using me as the guinea pig, <laughs> showing me how my thoughts are working against me. And yeah, it's been very interesting. But I do, I, I have struggled a lot with um, how to explain to people what this voice is. And because we, we can't really understand it in human terms, because it's not human. No. <laughs> you know, so and, and there's a lot of mystery around it. And I, I learned to be OK with the mystery because that's great. Right. We love mystery. We like wonder. That's exactly right. Right. We want this stuff, but to then we want to tear mystery. it apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I also I also because, <laughs> you know, I'm sort of attached to this academic background. I asked two leading um, professors of religion one on each coast. These are personal friends of mine. So I asked Bob Foreman. He's an expert on mysticism. I described the voice. I said, what is this voice? And he looked at me and he said, we don't know. <laughs> That's great. That's the first <laughs> time then, I've heard anybody answer I, that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah, that that's the height of academic training. <laughs> we don't know. And then I asked Houston Smith and on the West Coast in California, who's very, a very revered, he just passed away this year, um, religion professor, and he answered with the exact same words, we don't know. That's great. And that gave me a lot of um, permission to live with the mystery of not knowing. That's great. I'm so glad, because that's where it begins, too. I mean, if you have an ongoing experience with ayahuasca, you, have you asked? Have you asked that question of her? Have I asked, who are you? yeah. No, but you know Connie Grouts did. Do you know her? No. <laughs> she's, a, she's a pharmacist who um, about 25 years ago she went to Peru for a continuing education week, you know, to get, to get professional credits to keep her pharmacy license. And she was working in a shaman's garden, and it was really just a lark on her part. And she cut her foot, and she could see that the foot was getting, in, the cut was getting infected. And she had to get out of there again. It's like a couple of hours in a dugout canoe, and you know, then you get to a Peruvian town. I mean, where do you really get good antibiotics and know what you're taking? And, and so she asked the shaman about it. He said, no, don't leave. And he put a poultice mm-hmm. on her foot. And the next morning, she could see the infection was gone. Right. And at that point, as a pharmacist, she said, I knew he knew more about medicines than I did. Right. And so she stayed, and she returned regularly for a few decades and continued to study with him. And she did ask, who who (laughs) are you, to to these forces that would come and help her, and and they did answer her. What did they say? And this might explain why I haven't asked, because she got this huge power answer of, um, which would have scared me to death, she got this huge power answer of, 
we are the forces of nature. Beautiful. <laughs> and so that, that was enough for me. That sounded terrifying enough. But I thought, well, that's a great answer. It's really, it's even a bigger answer than Grandmother Ayahuasca. It's the forces of nature are coming to help heal you. I mean, this is, this is just an, I mean, an amazing answer. You feel like you're connected to the power of the universe. Well, I so, think I, I remember you had mentioned um, that there was uh, a case that you studied where there was somebody who was getting help. No, I don't hear a delay. Okay, I'm just hearing a delay. I think you're gonna... referring to the very first interview I did in, in, the, in the process of developing the questionnaire. Right, and so he, w- he had his spiritual helpers. He had doctors came. He had, yeah. So maybe your friend, the pharmacist, had her own unique, it sounds like. Yes, in a way, it's, yeah. it's a similar answer, kind of more cosmic. <laughs> right, exactly. But they, they kind of have a sense of it. And they are the, the experts in the end because they're having the exchange, and so are you. And, and so this is part of the ayahuasca cosmology is that doctores, um, that plant spirits are little doctors and they come and help heal. In a way, um, I guess they're big, right? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes they're referred to as very little and sometimes really? they're cosmic oh, really? <laughs> size. I, I guess I've never thought of them as little. Good. So we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back to Ayahuasca Talks. You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto. And I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat or connect with me at RebeccaHayden.com. Hi, we're back now. Are you there? Hi, Rebecca. Yes, I'm here. Perfect. I'm so sorry. I think that some of those spirits were kind of intervening. (laughs) (laughs) I had double and triple feedback going on there, so that got a little confusing. The voices were just a little overwhelming this time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But now I think we're, we're set. Good. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, from what I have figured, and again, I try not to, exp- I mean, I love the curiosity side of things, and you can't help but wonder these things. And I, what I focus on is what's being said to me and, and how much sense it makes and how I can make sense of that and apply it to my life. And I'm so busy doing that that um, I've had not as much time to say, who are you and what's all this about? And But there's but other people do. Other people ask those questions, yeah. those unanswerable questions, you know. And the best example, I mean, and, and most of them say, it's just you, it's just you. And it's like, well. Um, most of them say what? It's just you. And and then, yes. and now I've learned to respond with, and who is that? And, and that's a great place to kind of <laughs> move the conversation into the realm where it belongs of the unknown. 
Um, but ayahuasca definitely tells me it's her. So there's, yeah. So <laughs> if, I'm t- if we are to take these voices seriously that have inspired so many people to do so much, such amazing work, then we have to respect that they're <laughs> at least telling us the truth about themselves, you know? Well, you know what? what's really interesting is uh, an American shaman friend of mine um, considers the ayahuasca voice to be a, a little bit of a trickster. <laughs> they're all, I believe they're all tricksters. All tricksters. He <laughs> yeah. says, I don't pay attention to half of what she says to me. That's a whole different attitude. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on who you are, too. I mean, I think we learn in ayahuasca ceremony that everybody's so unique. You know, one person goes out in the space, the other person has this interaction with aliens, another person has none of that and has right. other things, you know. So, yeah, I think that it's it's very particular to individuals. Um were you? Did you receive any kind of guidance as to the kind of work that you're doing now, like or work that you did with the book and and that sort of well, thing? Well, you know, I I um I was told do the research, and I was helped in the research. <laughs> That's great. In how? In what way? Well, you know, I, this is almost even more embarrassing to talk about. I was not under the influence. In other words, I was months away from a ceremony, so I was really clearly. I had no medicine in my system, and um, I had I, my co-author is a very prestigious psychologist. He had during the uh, our, our work together. It was this three four year study. He won a lifetime achievement award from the American Psychological Association. So um, we were working together on the data analysis, and I heard a voice give me detailed instructions, uh, sophisticated ones on how to interpret the data analysis. Oh, wow, that's so great. And it was I helpful. Up, I, could, I mean, it's even too boring to get into in, a, in an interview. <laughs> it's that technical. And so I call up my co-author, and, it, and, it, and I say to him, Grandmother Ayahuasca suggested we <laughs> look, at the, look at the data this way. And he says, okay, well, let me think about that. I mean, it's like there's not a break. There's no questions. It's just let's really take a look at that, and that is actually we switched our um, we switched how we talked about the findings. I mean, it didn't change the numbers or the significance levels, but it was a question of well, what does this mean clinically? How do we interpret it? Because we were comparing um, people who had one ayahuasca experience to people who had um, gone to a Catholic retreat um, for a weekend. Oh, Catholic. I, you know, and I ended up saying they are each of them, both groups are reporting a spiritual and authentic spiritual experience. And nobody questions whether someone who goes to a Catholic retreat is, is having an authentic spiritual experience. Oh, we this is not with, that. So this is not with ayahuasca then? The no, Catholic. no, it's with a priest. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, so I found it lecture, interesting. Yeah. There was time in nature, there was reflective meditative time, there was sacred reading. There were no medicines. Right. It was at a Catholic retreat center. <laughs> but, you and, know... Um, and the scores were very similar to the ayahuasca scores. The ayahuasca scores were slightly higher on, on two spiritual dimensions, but not clinically... Different. They were statistically significant, but clinically it didn't make that big a difference. And that's what the message from ayahuasca was saying. 
Okay, so it was showing you how to interpret it and how to present it, I guess? Yes, how to, and that is how we presented it. It's a published article in the Journal of Psychoactive Drugs, so it was peer-reviewed. And we didn't really talk about <laughs> receiving uh, statistical guidance from Grandmother Ayahuasca. But at one point I said to my co-author, I said, you know, there really should be a third author on this article. <laughs> oh, and he agreed. We, I mean, we laugh. We can't do it. But we both felt that way. So your co-author also had experience with ayahuasca? None. Oh, okay. So that must have been an interesting experience. Well, he him. was just very open and accepting, like a good psychologist would be. <laughs> so, we, And I'd known him most of my life. I mean, so, I'd known him a long time. That's great. Um, yeah, we had we had a great time with the research, actually. But it was a lot of work. I mean, the study went on for three or four years, and oh, really? it really was a lot of work. And people really poured out their hearts in these um, research interviews. And well, oh, that's the other thing is is there were eighty one people who completed the questionnaires, but I interviewed another fifty people. Wow. Okay. So- and and people. Um, were reporting such positive experiences that I began to look for people who had bad trips. <laughs> oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> well, you know, this is what psychology, you know, was suspicious. Okay. So I, you know, and I, I certainly had time, you know, I had a couple of years of interviewing people, and I would find, you know, people were referred to me, I would find them, and they would say, yes, I had a bad trip, and they tell me the bad trip, and then they say, and this was pretty much universal, but I learned so much, I don't regret it. Oh, yeah, always. So what and we, that, yeah. you know, I had a bad trip, and that's how I feel about it also. Right. And, but, you know, I think that we've got to change the language there, too, because I think that what we're discovering is not really a bad trip. It was an experience that taught us something. I mean, we've had many in our lives, you know. Right. Well, some, you know, somebody in the um, one of the original... Um, researchers in, in psychedelics, and I, I'm just not remembering the author, but in the early 60s, he, he wrote an article about my good bad trip. <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely. And that, you know, that is the new language. I, I think that describes it much better. Um, so what did you find about when you made the comparison to these other retreats, these non-medicine retreats? What did you find that how was how was that compared? Well, not even just the comparison, but what the 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 ayahuasca users, the people who'd had at least one experience, reported a pattern that I've seen replicated in other research, and so that's what I want to talk about. That's the the after effect. Okay. And people generally felt um, more self compassion and more self acceptance. Mm-hmm. So they were less critical. You know, we all have that critical voice. That critical voice was just not as loud. There was more room for uh, self, self-acceptance, self which great. is not the same as self-esteem. I'm great. I can do anything. It's just sort of a quiet, more personal, I'm just not so hard on myself. Right. So that was that was kind of the one of the top findings. And then the second one was people were less uh, subject to moods, to depression or anxiety. They were less victimized, in a way, by their moods. So what was really int- I mean, some people, they experienced their depression lifting immediately. So it was a real, uh, a huge relief. Other people, uh, I mean, one guy wrote, this is this sort of different perspective on the same thing. I still have times of depression and anxiety, but 
I, I have more objectivity about it. I know it won't last forever. You know, I don't get down on myself for it. I'm better at waiting it out and getting through it. Right. So there was a shift in attitude toward their moods. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah. so people are feeling better about themselves, they're less, to, less moody, and they're more available for interpersonal relationships. So they're, um, they valued authentic relationships. I mean, even just recently, this, is not even, this guy was not even part of the research study, um, but he talked, this is actually someone who interviewed me talking about his own experience, who said, I'm more interested in authentic relationships. <laughs> so I never, I've never felt that way in my whole life, but at the age of 60-something, <laughs> he's all of a sudden decided he would, you know, he has a value on authentic relationships with women. Yeah. So I, that, that's yeah. potentially life-changing. It is. Um, authenticity comes through um, very clearly as um, a value when people come out of these experiences. And Yes, the values <laughs> change. And then people um, also reported, I mean, some people, uh, 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 resolution, uh, help with addictions. So some people woke up the next morning and said, I'm never touching alcohol again. And I have followed many of these people for five, seven years, and they don't touch alcohol again. So now I have to say, I didn't ask about smoking cigarettes. It just wasn't even on my radar screen. So I don't really know what happens with that. But... Certainly, people um, stopped alcohol. Some people continued with marijuana. Some people didn't. Some people continued with other psychedelics. Some people didn't. Right. But the big, the big addiction help was with alcohol. That's great. And then other people, um, you know, just cleaned up their their diets and began to all of a sudden all they wanted was fruits and vegetables. And number of people tried uh, raw diets and. There was a, a cleaning up of their diets, and also they exercised more. Yeah, I, and then and then as you as you know, because you went through this too, right. there was a philosophical shift, in, <laughs> you know, in their worldview. Right. The, um, uh, so a big spiritual opening. Yeah, I've noticed that too, where people just see the world differently, and I think that that's part of what makes what makes it possible for us to really change our behavior because you can try to talk yourself into it as as much as you like, but if your underlying beliefs change, then everything can change, right? Yeah, and people report these changes in behavior not out of uh, white-knuckle discipline. <laughs> it's just they're really spontaneous changes. Yeah. So it, it is, you're absolutely right. It is intimately connected to... Um, a spiritual awakening, and we don't technically know exactly. Um, I mean, William James, sort of the father of psychology, talked about a religious conversion experience, and that people uh, change their lives dramatically. And and this has a little bit of that flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's comparisons all the time. I think I understand the Bible a lot better than I ever did. <laughs> but it's simply because I can actually relate to some of the experiences where people were visited and asked to change, and <laughs> this has happened to me, so how can I not relate to that? <laughs> well, know? that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> of course, and I was dead set against you know religion um, for a long time because I had it kind of foisted upon me, and, and I went through many years of you know um, not quite faking it, but just you know going along with something that I knew I didn't believe in, and yeah. So people change in ways that are not 
altogether predictable that might be related to their previous um, experiences or not. It, so it can be very um, unique and individual. Yeah, I mean, I've found that I've talked to a lot of people who weren't religious. They go in and they have just a little more gentleness toward that. You know, they don't, it, it's not, it doesn't really irk them the way that it did before, and they have a lot more openness and not, non, non-judgmental, you know, and, and that's, that's great. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you use that word openness. There were um, studies at Hopkins where they actually um, tested for psychological openness. Oh, really? Is, a variable that is not supposed to change. It's one of the five dimensions of personality that's supposed to remain pretty consistent throughout life. And what they found after, um, not ayahuasca, but after psilocybin experiences, is that people reported greater openness. How did they measure that? There's psychological pencil and paper computerized (laughs) tests. Really? That wow. will measure openness, yeah. That's amazing. So Yeah, I could send you the research article that would give examples of the um very you know, the items in the scale. I'd love to take a look you at know, that. You know, psychologists are big on measuring things. Of course. <laughs> so but, I mean we're very big on measuring personality dimensions. Uh, but the surprise was the the accepted psychological theory was openness is one of the big five describing a personality that is not supposed to change. So that it changed at all was amazing. Right. So, how was your research received? I mean, have, tell me about the reactions to it in the in the world of academics and 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 that sort of in the scientific world and the world of psychology too. Where I, I read that you you talked to people who were psychi- or psychologists and went into the experience with ayahuasca and afterwards felt that um, it was superfluous or they they didn't feel that it was appropriate. Wait a minute, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing the the end of that question. Oh, you you reported in your in your book that you you knew of many psychologists who went into their experience with ayahuasca and afterwards they pretty much rejected the the notion that therapy was helpful. And I'm wondering. There was one. There was just one person who was like that. Oh, really? Okay. Who basically said, "How can I continue to do, you know, office psychotherapy when I know this other opportunity is available and works much better?" So what was but the most? Most therapists um, uh, don't stop doing therapy, possibly because it's the only thing they know to do. I mean, I'm retired, so I can talk like this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Uh, what they do begin to talk about more is w- what happens in the days and weeks and months after a ceremony. How do people change over time? How do they integrate um, these experiences into their lives? And I, and I want to say I have also heard from people who did not um, abide by, they heard a voice and they didn't do what the voice said. So, you know, there was one guy who, who was very guilty years later who said, <laughs> You know, Grandmother Ayahuasca told me to clean up my act, and I spent the summer doing coke. <laughs> well, that's, wow. That's, pretty, that's a pretty unusual combination. And he said, I, and I still feel bad about it. This was, you know, years later I was talking to him. Yeah. And um, so not everybody spontaneously changes their lives. Right. But enough people do that there's a pattern. So how was your research received by the world of academics? Well, it was published in an academic journal, it was peer-reviewed, but we all know this level research is the very, it's the bottom rung of research. It's the very first level of research. There was no control in the study. 
you know, who knows what people drank or, or when they drank it. It was, you know, it's, very, it's going to be very difficult to do research on ayahuasca. It is. And yeah. so this was the very first level of research. It was a little bit more than a survey, but it begins to point to um, what kinds of questions should we ask. Mm-hmm. And if it at least excites interest and curiosity and, and well, let's hope that it inspires well, some awe. Well, it's a very small <laughs> niche. It's this, the, the research, in, and especially about ayahuasca, has not really reached that level of interest. I, I was out at the MAPS conference in Oakland, and Roland Griffiths, who's head of the team on, uh, at Hopkins looking at psilocybin, he said, and he's been working, he's been doing this, this research for over a decade now on psilocybin and he said this is the first year we got our team got more um uh inquiries from the press than any other research study in all of hopkins (laughs) wow so that's you know that's the beginning it's just beginning there is intense interest and i think that you know whatever brings them to ayahuasca, which many of us were brought to plant medicines due to the fact that we had... I, I re, um, can you change something you're doing so I can hear you? Certainly. I'm so sorry. Um, I think that many of us came to ayahuasca because we had some condition that wasn't being effectively treated by conventional medicine and conventional science. Right. And, and I think that's happening more and more. And and so that's exciting. Most of the interest, I would like to believe, because people simply, you know, want to to solve these these major issues. Well, that's going to be sort of like from the ground up, like um, part of what happened with medical marijuana, that people find that it's helpful in some way, and so there the demand for uh, the oper- for access becomes uh, pretty loud. Yeah. And so I think that that might eventually happen, but I can give you one example of the difficulty with research with ayahuasca in that there was a study uh, being planned to, um, to, to research an authentic uh, indigenous ceremony, but to control for the potency and the dosage of the medicine, they used the technique that they use in, uh, in um, Barcelona in Spain, in in their they're ahead of us in researching ayahuasca and what they've done is they've used uh, freeze dried capsules. Oh, okay, that's so, interesting. So the study brought these, <laughs> they got these freeze dried capsules of ayahuasca tea and showed them to the shaman who were going to officiate at the ceremony, and the shaman said, "We can't use that. <laughs> the spirit is there. It's not a the medicine is not alive." The spirit is missing. Right, yeah. And that was the end of that study. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, you know, um, the the first time that I ever heard about ayahuasca, before I even anticipated doing anything about it, I was just delving into shamanism. And I was reading the book by Michael Harner. So anyway, I think that we should round this up. We've got five more minutes. Is there anything that you wanted to, to tell us about what came up in the research, things that surprised you, and, and about your ongoing journey with, with Mother Well, the Ayahuasca? book is really not so much about the research as about different aspects of the ayahuasca experience. So I really wrote the book with the intention to help people who are thinking about uh, trying uh, an ayahuasca ceremony or for people who have experienced the ceremony and want um, 
more information about how to work with that ceremony in their lives. I give a lot of therapy examples, drawing on these kinds of unusual experiences that people report and how to integrate them and and make the most of them in, in their ongoing lives. And I wanted to give kind of therapeutic examples for therapists to learn better how to work with people who are traveling in these um, visionary realms. This is, uh, it really can enliven a therapeutic process. And a therapeutic process can really enrich the ayahuasca ceremonies as well. So I'm hoping the book will be helpful to people before or after a ceremony. I think there's a great deal of interest in it, and, and I know people who have, you know, already, especially when I was promoting this show, they, they've got back to me, and um, one friend of mine said, I just finished reading it. So there's interest in just people who have experienced ayahuasca, and everybody's very curious about other people's experiences, and you have put together, you know, quite a lot of information on many, many people's experiences. Right. And, and what, We're what's curious happened. about what happens afterwards. Right. Everybody yeah. wants to know. Yeah. So there are a lot of interviews on my website. People can go to my website. Oh, that's great. Um, listening to ayahuasca.com and get more information. Oh, that's great. Um, I wanted to, I think I remember when I was mentioning before we had technical difficulties intervened was um, that um, Michael Harner, who had written The Way of the Shaman, talked about how he was going about doing his research on these indigenous cultures and how they practice medicine. And eventually the shaman just said to him, you're never going to understand this by watching and yeah you have to experience it and i think that any therapist who wants to treat someone who's been through it even though they'll never have the same experience as the person they treat um they will at least have to have some experience of it um and and they certainly have to be familiar with these realms yeah and i mean i i don't know how familiar (laughs) any of us it does does make a difference when the therapist is also connected to this medicine there is something else that happens as well. I've experienced it. It almost almost feels like a third presence is, is in the conversation. Right, and I have no doubt that that's true. Do you still feel that ayahuasca is in your life? Do I, personally? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So do you still hear her speak to you? I miss that. Do you, do you still hear her speak to you? Um, you know, she was very helpful during the writing of the book. And uh, I haven't heard from her in a while, but um, during the writing of the book, <clears throat> I needed to find a, a, a neurological scientist <laughs> to vet my chapter on research, and um, she helped me get to one. I know she did. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was saying, you know, I have better connections to the Dalai Lama than to a cognitive scientist, and a week later, I had a neurologist from Berkeley who had experienced the medicine and he read the chapter for me. So And did he just contact you or how did that come no, about? No, I got him through a friend. Right. Yeah, but it was very serendipitous. The timing was perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, it's amazing how that works and you were kind of reaching out because you needed help. I needed help, yeah. I think And that- I and I received the perfect person. There aren't many 
um, with those with <laughs> with those criteria. Right. Okay, we're going to have to sign off now. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you, Rebecca. And I do apologize for the technical difficulties. Well, good luck. <laughs> and my relationship with electronics has changed since all of this, too. It'll keep growing. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much, and we're um, just signing off at Ayahuasca Talks at Radio Regent. Thanks again. Bye-bye.